welcome to episode 82 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, this is kind of an emergency pod, but I was planning on doing something for this anyway, so... But something big did happen, um, and it is that Fox will be out on t- for 10 to 14 days. And he is in health and safety protocols. There actually have not been announcements. They were not very specific, the Kings, about who was in health and safety protocols. And so far, he's the only one announced. And he seems to be doing fine from the reports, but he is going to be out for 10 to 14 days. And that will basically... So we looked at the our I looked at the schedule, um, and he is likely to be out, you know, optimistically, um, depending on like when the ten days start. Because I just just started from uh, Shamsharania's tweet, and he tweeted on 4:23. So ten days of from that is May 4th, and 14 days from that is May 8th, and that is what I'm expect. I'm I'm gonna be a bit on the pessimistic side and say he's gonna be out till May 8th, so that basically means he's gonna miss eight games. Um, and I totally forgot to introduce my co-host, who will give his thoughts now on what he thinks about this. Fong, how, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean I'd rather have him, uh, you know, play it safe and uh, you know get his rest because he has played a lot like near almost averaging 40 minutes a game and you know he needs that rest and hopefully uh from yeah like you said the reports uh he's sounding pretty pretty healthy and uh not like anything major but uh all in all yeah like i said let him get the rest and you know we'll play you know hopefully the third unit more or at least any minutes Yes. Um, so, well, I was also going to mention, so the earliest game he could be back is the Indiana game. If, like, again, we don't know, like, how, when the 10-day thing starts, 10 to 14-day starts, but let's just say, like, he got, he was put into health and safety protocols on the 23rd. The first game he could be back is the Indiana game. Or, you know, if it's really optimistic, he could actually play in the OKC game on the on the 4th. Like, uh, but I don't recommend that because that is a back-to-back, and I don't know if you want to play De'Aaron on a back-to-back in that case because chances are he's going to be a little bit out of shape. Chances, well, he can like stay in shape, but like not in basketball shape, and I don't know if you want to bring him back on a back-to-back. But we'll see what Luke does. But yes, yeah, so there are a total of I believe eight games. Let me just check just real quick. Yes, there are eight games in between that stretch. Golden State, uh, which is happening tomorrow. Dallas, Utah, Lakers, uh, Mavericks again, OKC, Indiana, and San Antonio. Um, I'm looking at that schedule. What, what are your thoughts? What, what do you think will be our record in that, you know, against these teams without Fox? Uh, out of those eight games, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, one for seven. One for seven. Yeah, that's actually what I came up with. And the one is OKC because they are literally purposely trying to lose. And I swear to God, the Kings will find a way to somehow not not lose that game or to somehow not win that game. Like they will find a way to to blow that game. And I don't know how they're gonna do it. I'm, but like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting game. 
as it stands now. Of course, Fox is, you know, the leading scorer and the leading assist man for this team. And also, apparently, the leading steals uh, guy, too, which kind of makes sense to a certain degree. But, like, he, you know, he is the engine that runs the offense. And there are no offensive creators at all outside of him. So, that's a big loss. And I don't know what to, like, I don't know how the Kings are going to handle this, to be honest. Uh, you know, to be honest, we're just going to play our best, like usual, in quotes. And hopefully, you know, it's not going to be a terrible game to watch for the next, hopefully, eight games. So we shall see. We shall see. We already talked about the record. Um, so yes, the as I as I mentioned, the optimistic um I guess outlook is that he might be back for the Indiana game. If not, he will basically they he'll come back against he'll likely come back against uh, the second time we play OKC on May 9th. The earliest he could be back is probably May 4th or May 5th. So yeah, until then we're just gonna have to I guess weather the storm without him. Now, I will I will um, mention last year when De'Aaron was out for that extended stretch, the Kings did play well to start, but then kind of fell off a cliff and didn't get any better when he get, got back. So maybe something happens between this, like that sparks the Kings a little bit, because one thing I do notice with when uh, De'Aaron is on the floor, the his the rest of the Kings kind of stand there and just kind of watch him because they know he can create. It's, it's not like the same thing, but like back in the day when in t- around the 20, 2008 to like 2010, like when Kobe was in his prime, like they would be running the triangle. And like whenever Kobe was on the court, there, there were not, you know, there were moments where like he would just break away from the offense and everyone just kind of stands around and not run the offense because they know that Kobe can generate something instead of running the offense. And when Kobe went to the bench, the triangle offense ran way better. Like, you know, everyone's kind of moving the ball, relying on each other to create a shot. But when Kobe gets in, it, te- it, I mean, they still do it, but like it's a lot less often. So maybe we get some version of that with the Kings. Like maybe they move the ball a little. And like it, you know, you rely on each other. That's my optimistic look at it. Maybe something good comes out of it, but I don't, I don't know what to think. Uh, that's a good theory. I mean, to be honest, we've seen the, you know, the goods and the bads of how our offense is run, and you know, we we've seen a lot that of that good ball movement uh, lately, whether or not Fox is on the floor or not. And you know, I think uh, with our vets that we have. Uh, I think uh, we could create something, but it's, it all comes down to if we could hit shots, to be honest. And uh, that's what I'm kind of afraid of. Okay. Um, yeah, hopefully the Kings figure some out. Okay, now that we've uh, covered the, the Aaron Fox, uh, eh, not injury, but let's just um, safety protocols thing. We're going to move on to actually what this podcast was originally planned to be about. It's about the uh, King's Herald show with Jerry Reynolds. And they talked to someone named Jake Fisher, who basically wrote a book about essentially the tanking. uh, Like the the topic is like teams that kind of tank the wrong way. And one of the major topics in the book and the main topic of this podcast or like the, the Jerry Reynolds show, the King's Herald show, 
is you know the Kings' draft. So, you know, Kings have not had a good track record of drafting, to say the least, since Vivek has taken over. Not even like even before that, like they missed out on Dame for Thomas Robinson. The next year they missed out on CJ for Ben Black McLemore and uh many others. I think yeah, the was it the Papiana's draft the next one? I mean there's so many that you can't really keep track, to be honest. Yeah, so well, uh, we're not going to cover the entire podcast. I'll just cover like my most notable things from the podcast. And honestly, most of these things are things we already know, but there's a little bit more detail about it. you know. Uh, so first thing I want to talk about is that apparently Kings really, really liked Ben McLemore in the 2013 draft, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that was the C, that was the CJ McCollum draft because I remember very vividly is that the Kings really needed a point guard at that point, and they just could not help themselves but just draft non-point guards. They ended up like Jimmer was supposed to be the point guard of of the team. Well, guess what? Jimmer sucked basically and never really found his role uh, on the team. And uh, they had a chance, and again, Damian Lillard, they instead drafted Thomas Robinson because they were afraid of, I think, losing Jason, I think it was Jason Collins, whoever the power forward was. And yeah, this year in the 2013 draft, yeah, 2013 draft, they selected Ben McLemore, even though they were really high on CJ McCollum. They were, they even told CJ is that if you're available at number seven, we're picking you. But, you know, behind the scenes, they they really, really wanted Ben McLemore. So much so, they actually wanted to trade up to get Ben McLemore. <sighs> and luckily, we didn't. Uh, I forgot if it was Ben McLemore or Nick Stauskas where it was the vet that, you know, by eye saw that uh, he liked him more over the other. Uh, it was Stauskas. Stauskas is probably what you're talking about. The, he made free throws. We'll get to that. But, yeah, we wanted to move. You say, like, we, you know, and luckily we did. Did it really matter? <laughs> like, we we still picked him at seven. He He's turned out to be a good player, a decent role player. Like, he's on the Lakers right now. And apparently he's the leading scorer, which is hilarious. Um, and, But, like, yeah, him at seven over CJ – like that talk about blowing it and again you needed a point guard like for so long he just kept whiffing on these good point guards or cj's like a shooting guard but really he's a point guard let's be honest <laughs> yeah okay uh so the, so let's talk about nick stauskas the other the other guy vivek or not vivek but like you know the front office was really debating over is alfred payton they really liked alfred payton but, but Vivek loved Nick Stauskas. Do you know why he loved him? Yes, I do. You want to go ahead and talk about why? <laughs> now, there are a lot of things uh, important in basketball. You know, the most important thing is getting that is getting that ball through the bucket. And Nick Stauskas did do that from the free throw line. This all this all this shows me is that Vivek just doesn't know anything about basketball. I'm listening to Shattered right now on the Athletic uh, Podcast uh, Network, and they're talking about how James Dolan is a very very fickle and honestly, 
basically a guy that doesn't know much about basketball and is extremely fickle. There's a story in there about how uh, James Dolan at a Knicks game saw Miles Turner hit a three, and James Dolan turned to his assistant and said, hey, who's that guy? I, is there any way we can get that guy? And apparently that's the only time, well, the first time he's ever seen uh, Miles Turner. He's never, he's never like studied him. He's never like met him in person. That was the first time he ever met Miles Turner. And he said, how, how, how can we get this guy? That level of fickleness and short attention span and lack of basketball knowledge, unfortunately, is almost like a mirror image of what Vivek did here. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just Vivek just seeing how well uh, just hits free throws and not look at any other part of like his game. It's just kind of infuriating in a way because, but to anyone's like eye, to a normal viewer, uh, watching Nick Stauskas during the years that uh, he did get drafted, it, he wasn't. I mean, he was good in free throw, sure, but everything else is like it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good at all. Like he, all he did was make threes. And free throws. That's all you I can say, remember. You say make threes. I, I think it's more shooting threes than actually really making them. That's like true. what? And what use is free throw shooting when you can't get to the free throw line? <laughs> like, does it? Yeah, it, it it to me just shows Vivek's lack of basketball knowledge and essentially the arrogance about it. Where like I'm guessing he didn't listen to his assistants who did know about basketball. Like you know, say that that's not exactly the most important thing. You know, he's tiny. He can't really play defense. He's not a good ball handler. Like, those are the kinds of things you really need to look at and say, this guy is tiny, and the only thing he can do is shoot. And apparently the only thing he can really do is make free throws. Like, that's not a – like, if I'm looking at that at a draft, like at a draft combine, that's a, that sounds like a second-round pick to me, honestly. I mean, he should have, but, you know, we did draft him high, so. What was the pick? I think it was eighth, right? It wasn't a pick that Nick Salsas was deserved for sure. Let me let me look that up real quick. Yeah, there he is. He's on the oh, he's on the Bucks. What? Oh, G League, I think. Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. So that he was the eighth pick in 2014. Yes. Oh, wow. I actually got that right. But yeah. So um, let's just say that's a that's a one of the blown picks. There are many more to come. They did not talk about Papianis, which actually surprised me. So that that was kind of interesting. Um, next note I have is that so you know I, I you know I'm a, I'm in the camp of you know loving Demarcus and what he did here in SAC for the most part. Like you know he did a lot for the community. He was basically the best center in the league, but just couldn't you know carry his team to you know the playoffs because of you know bad management. And also apparently he was a very toxic presence in the locker room. Now, I, I will defend that in that, you know, the level of toxicity was not helped by the front office fucking up so much. But apparently one of the things the the podcast talks about is that DeMarcus did not like being outshined by Isaiah Thomas. There is one specific inc- incident that they that they uh, that they reference, and I don't remember the game, but Isaiah had a really good game. 
and basically was the guy that got all the shine. And DeMarcus apparently was so angry that he just walked out on media in the locker room. Like didn't didn't get a ch- didn't give a chance for anyone to interview him. Just walked straight out of the locker room and probably to the bus or to go home. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, at the time, to be honest, I I didn't follow too much of the behind the scenes with DeMarcus, but as of right now, if I saw that with him and what he uh, has done with our team, I mean, it's like that's that's not good. That's a kind of like that's a breaking our like team chemistry and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it can like, you know, break our team apart. And that's, in my opinion, it's not okay. But like I said, it's, it's a thing where we should have seen it uh, sooner, I guess, in a way. Yes. That is petty. And just like, you know, reeks of some really, some really bad insecurities to say the least and yeah like if, if you like yeah if i was following the league like deeply now i probably would have said we needed to trade demarcus to be honest like that is a toxic level of behavior that does infect a locker room and it does break them apart and that's what he did apparently he apparently he also hated rookies Whenever, you know, whenever they were in practice, apparently he would set hard screens, yell at these rookies, and just... I remember very specifically the stories of him breaking Ben McLemore, basically, just being hard as hell on him. Basically, DeMarcus was a guy that basically tried to trample over everybody, let everyone know who the man was, and did not like people, you know... He was the king of the jungle, like, you know, like our mascot. And he just dominated the team and really did have a basically wanted to be the man and it it really was at the detriment of his teammates yeah i remember uh the podcast saying about how nit stauskis was trying you know shoot threes and he would just screen stauskis so hard that to the point where or was it Stauskas or I forget? I mean, he I think, did that. I think it was Stauskas, yeah. He, I mean, he did this to a lot of rookies, of course, but it just demoralizes these uh, kind of guys who are trying to build and make something out of the league. And, you know, most of these guys just became literally nothing at this point just because of uh, what has the, or what DeMarcus has done to the team. I tend to disagree with that they didn't they didn't amount to anything because of DeMarcus. Look, look, if you're not good, like that that you're just not good. And I think that's more of what it was. I think superstars become superstars no matter what, like no matter the circumstance. It, but like I just you know Ben McLemore hasn't amounted to anything because he's just he can only shoot. He can't really do anything else. Same thing with Nick Stauskas. He's too he's too small. He can't really handle the ball well, and he's not a good enough he's not a good enough shooter to justify playing him. I think these guys you know just ended up not being good and honestly not having the fire. And also kind of the goal to stand up to DeMarcus. You know, I'm, I imagine, like, they didn't talk about it during these years, but, like, they didn't have an Iman Shumpert in the room to say, what the fuck, dude? You don't be doing that shit to people. Like, what the, like, what the fuck are you, you insecure little f- insecure fucking giant? Like, why do you got to bully people? You got some, like, you got something to hide? Like, you know, I, I imagine not having that kind of presence in the team really hurt the you know really hurt the kings as an organization 
and as on on the court as well because uh, as far as I know and they do talk about it a little bit they really kind of baby DeMarcus during these years and we'll get to like you know the George Carl stuff but you know they always favored on the side of DeMarcus and just kind of enabled this love this kind of behavior <sighs> yep Okay, next note I have is that so George or not George George Carl, but Mike Mike Malone, the infamous Mike Malone firing. Now we know what happened. They were doing good, then uh, Demarcus was out for I think like two or three games, and they ended up losing, and they fired Mike Malone right there. It was some bullshit, and it still is bullshit to this day. Apparently that situation. So Mike Malone was hired in 2015. And and like I think either in the off season or whatever I, I don't remember the details but he was hired and apparently as soon as he was hired and in the off season during summer league Mike Malone was apparently telling his assistants or people around him saying he's already on the hot seat because it, it, during summer league Vivek went at I think Vivek and Vlade I believe I don't do you remember if both of them were there. I, I know for sure Vivek, but I'm pretty sure if anything, Vladi would be there too. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But like, apparently the, during summer league in Vegas, George Carl was already meeting with Vivek. Now they they do say specifically that we they don't know if he was already like you know trying to get the job, but like basically Vivek was already kind of like essentially kind of trying to feel out George Carl, essentially like. Basically, essentially kind of like saying, you know, I, you know, I, I like you, George Carl. Like, you know, I know we just hired a guy, but we would really like it if you were the coach. And uh, yeah, like that is the level of fickleness that I talk about. It's the shiny new object like that distracts you from, you know, the, the greater purpose. And George Carl was that like he's a, well, he's not a championship coach, but he has a big, you know, long track track record of winning. And they they have hired Mike Malone, was probably hoping that he would turn the team around. And then but before that even like started, they were already scouting out another another uh, coach. It's like when it's like, you know, I don't do this often now, but like it's like when I buy a new pair of shoes and then there's another pair of shoes that comes out. Now I want that pair of shoes. It's that level of that is the level of attention span and fickleness that you can't have with the owner running the team. Yeah, I mean, man, he he has done a lot of negative things that I never have thought he has done in the past during the time when uh, I was watching. Because, like I said, I don't uh, really uh, listen to the behind the scenes uh, with the Kings. Uh, but you know, what do you think uh, would have happened if we kept Mike Malone for the next, let's just say, couple more seasons? If George Carl never was in the picture. I would say they would be. I mean, they probably would be champion, or not champion. <laughs> uh, they probably be in the playoffs for sure because they were building something. There was something like Demarcus. You know, will say like he was the first coach. Mike Malone was the first coach to ever stand up to him, and he respected him. That was the that is the presence. That is the Iman Shumper presence that Demarcus needed. And you fire him. And, like, that broke the team. Like, that basic, that essentially broke the team for the next year and the year beyond. Because 
the team did not like George Carl, and yeah, like it really, it basically set them back an entire year and a half because of that really stupid firing. <sighs> yeah, like I remember the year that uh, George Carl was hired, we had. I get. I mean, theoretically, a decent team. We like we got Rondo. We had a uh, Collins in the uh, six man and uh, whatnot. But it's like now that I think about it, if we really did keep Mike Malone, I feel like we would have won at least 40 games the next season because we were at the time, even uh, during uh, George Carl barely breaking 30 win games a season. Yeah, the, the, the reason why is because the team quit on George Carl. They hated him. You know, the snake in the, the, snake in the grass comment, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that now, but, like, apparently during the – when Mike Malone was fired, the, one of the first meetings that George Carl had, essentially, like, they basically had a meeting with – I think Vlade was definitely there. Vlade and Vivek was that, you know, they floated the idea of, like, trading DeMarcus. Because they, he looked at the roster and ba- and basically said, yeah, this is this roster is just not good enough to be able to make the playoffs. We need to we need depth. We need better players. And you know he he had a whiteboard of things that they could do. And one of the things was floating the idea out there to trade Demarcus. And that's where the snake in the grass com- comment from Demarcus came from. And you know I, I've always said like George Carl may be a good coach. He may be even a decent person, but like with that many people calling him a snake and like, you know, so many he has so many feuds with so many players and coaches that at some point, like you just have to come to the conclusion where that he's a bit of a he's a bit of an asshole. And that's just how it is. And yeah, like it's firing him again, firing Mike below set the team back so much because that was the that was a great coach that was going to find a way to work out with DeMar- DeMarcus Cousins and probably would have gotten them to the playoffs because that would have been he was the guy that held DeMarcus accountable and would have made him a better player. Now, to be fair, George Carl did make um, DeMarcus a better player, but but, you know, still everyone hated his ass, including DeMarcus. Yeah, Kyle really outshined, uh, you know, what. DeMarcus has done uh, with the team during that time. I, I kind of remember uh, when, like, right before George Carl was fired, like, everyone, everyone hated him, whether if it's, like, the players, the front office at that point, and even the fans. And, yeah, we really wanted him gone. And at that point, we had how many coaches? Probably, like, three lost during like I don't even know how many years span, maybe two years span. So jo- so Jason Jones always makes this joke is that he he might be one of the only he might be one of the only people or at least people covering the Kings at that point to see three coaches in one season because they had <laughs> Mike Malone at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think it was Tyron Corbin was the was the interim head coach for a bit. And like they, they even told Tyron Corbin, yeah, you're gonna be the head coach for the rest of the season. And then a few months later, how they hired George Carl. Again, fickle. Just short attention span, not keeping promises, and just 
basically like look basically kind of like being drawn towards the shiny object in the room so easily and yeah the, basically three coaches in one season that extended to the next season and apparently he was going to get fired in the middle of the season but the reason why he didn't get fired was because it, the financials <laughs> they they basically didn't want to pay for three coaches at the same time the the front office and that's why he actually stayed uh, with the team up, up up until the end of the season and everyone like knew he was gone he he knew he was gone the players wanted him gone and knew that he was probably going to be gone the writing was on the wall and it was a very very toxic season yeah that was a really hard season to watch we we lost a lot i believe that season i if i remember correctly we, we had some good moments like, I think I remember a very specific play, like Rondo, like, you know, coaching up DeMarcus. Like, essentially, uh, I think, yeah, it was against the Hawks, and he recognized the play, and, like, he he basically just told, like, people to get in the right position to blow up the play, and we ended up winning that game. And that was the game that we were in the eighth seed, and we were 500. And, like, good vibes all around, and then it just kind of fell apart from there. Uh, well... Maybe Rondo should have been the coach that year, but, you know, can't do that. I mean, he was he's the floor general, and, like, honestly, had, had maybe we kept Mike Malone, like, I'm pretty sure he would have been able to find a way to work with uh, Rondo, because Rondo was still good at, at that point, and mm-hmm. he still is in spots, but, like, to talk about, like, you know, a coach, in, like, a, a coach that DeMarcus respected, and a player that, you know, DeMarcus still loves to this day and probably respects for his basketball mind. Like, that would have been – like, that's 2015-2016 team. That was a good roster of talent. And, like, the, we had a chance to make the playoffs. Like, to, but like you know, the coaching the coaching staff and the players just didn't mesh, and you know, we're, still, we're still not in the playoffs to this day. Not yep. going to be at the end of the season probably, so um, – Next thing I want to talk about really quickly is a Chris Mullins. So Chris Mullins was essentially the Joe Dumars before Joe Dumars was Joe Dumars. And he was kind of in Vivek's ear and like as an advisor because, oh, oh yeah, he's from the Warriors. It's really the only reason. And uh, he was going to – he was – he was in very good favor with Vivek. It was like one of Vivek's like, you know, trusted advisors, you know, one of those guys behind the scenes that really kind of led the team to make the decisions that they did. And but all of that kind of came crashing down when they fired Mike Malone and Vivek wanted Chris Mullins to actually be the head coach. And Chris Mullins said no and was kind of subsequently kind of you know, in the background, just pushed out. And, like, they just... He just lost all favor with Vivek. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't remember Chris Mullins being uh, a coach, to be honest. Was he even a coach? I don't think so. He probably was. I, I Probably, like, right after he retired. I don't remember. But, you know, he had... You know, he... He was a big part of that uh, Warriors, not rebuild, but like, you know, he he had he had a he had a role in playing. He had a he had a role in the rise of the Warriors, and you know, now again, the shiny object in the room. Vivek loves the Warriors and how they built their team, and you know, Chris Mullins was that guy, 
And unfortunately, until he wasn't, because <laughs> he just he disagreed with Vivek and didn't want to take over the team. Yeah, I mean, I don't. To be honest, I I wouldn't want to be forced into a coaching job either if I were uh, Chris Mullins. And you know, uh, with the toxicity that's already happening within the Kings organization during that time, I'm I probably would have left earlier if that's the case. To be honest, I mean. I don't know if he would have been able to handle DeMarcus, but like I imagine he would have been a guy that the, the front office would have backed because he has he is Vivek's guy. And I don't know, like maybe that turns into like the New York Knicks of the West. But, you know, maybe that works. But they, they fucked up when they fired Mike Malone. It, it, that's really the root issue there. Mm-hmm. You can talk about Chris Mullen. You can talk about the hypotheticals. The, the moment they fired Mike Malone, they fucked up. That what that's basically that's the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing I want to talk about. Apparently, I, I I forgot if it was from Vivek, but like v- Vladi was told that he should try and bond with Demarcus and essentially teach Demarcus how to quote unquote play winning basketball. And Demarcus reports basically say like, what the fuck you gonna what the fuck you gonna teach me? Like, I don't <laughs> need you to teach me shit. So like that that relationship was bad from the start. Is <laughs> basically my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vladi's been out the league for a long time in terms of playing uh, on the court, and you know his game is, I would say, very old-fashioned. And uh, I disagree. You know, but keep oh, going. really? Okay. Because in my opinion, uh. Like how we built Demarcus uh, to be that point center, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I know Vladi is a great passer, and he could have taught uh, Demarcus some, uh, you know, point center type uh, plays. But I think, uh, in a way, I think Demarcus uh, really can uh, play better without, you know, having Vladi being there to, you know, coach him the way. On the way. Well, the the way that Vladi played is actually it's more of a precursor to Jokic, like him and him and Webb, like they they were a precursor to the Jokic type player, where you know they they were they weren't like you know their first option is not is not that they were going to score, their first option was that they were going to catch in the high post and be able to find a pass. And that was what made them very deadly, and it really opened up the Kings' offense. And that was the key to the Kings' offense. It was that high post kind of split, you know, where you throw it to Webb and uh, Vladi in the high post, and then guys just cut all around them. I felt like, you know, DeMarcus, I'm, I'm going to criticize DeMarcus a little bit. You know, he was a very arrogant young man. And, you know, he, he was all, basically always the best player on his team. And, like, you know, he's not a very coachable guy, let's be honest. Like, if he kind of listened to some of Vlade's, like, advice, I think it would have helped. I think it very, very much could have helped him. Because, like, a guy like Vlade has, you know, he didn't win a championship, of course, but he knows how to play winning basketball. Like, you know, being that high post, being that high post offensive anchor, and, uh, you know, being, like, very competent on defense. Didn't Vlade win a Defensive Player of the Year? I don't remember. Mm, probably a while ago. It's just, like, he might be uh, on the first or second team, if I remember. 
Yeah, so, like, you know, he could... Now, DeMarcus didn't have the mobility, but, like, he still could have, like, you know, like, learned positioning and such things from Vlade. Vlade had stuff to teach him, I think, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the basketball court, anyway. On the front office, let's keep Vlade out of that. But, like... I think he could have taught, uh, you know, DeMarcus a lot. Now, the ball handling stuff that you mentioned, sure, he couldn't have taught him that. But, like, he could have taught him, like, you know, stand still, reading the game. Because, you know, those things help you win basketball games and help you make your teammates better, in my opinion. If, if he was a little bit more receptive, it probably could have helped DeMarcus a lot more than he probably realized. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's just that, you know, sadly, DeMarcus is that kind of, you know, bipolar guy that won't accept uh that much help or you know he's that hot-headed guy that you know can't like you know i, I don't even know what to say <laughs> um yeah uh he again just uh you know a hard-headed player that it is very frustrating for a lot of coaches because it's a guy that is just so much talent is brimming off of him he just needs to learn how to play the right way and but he refuses to you know learn the right way because he thinks he knows more than you and mm-hmm. to some degree he kind of does to some degree he doesn't but you know those are the kind those are the coaches nightmares that they usually don't want to deal with because again there's a lot of talent in there and you know you just have to find a way to harness it except he doesn't want you to touch him essentially so mm-hmm. that's unfortunately the case with demarcus and I'm not gonna pin it. I'm not gonna pin the Kings' failures during that era to Demarcus because the the front office fucked up so much. Again, they needed a point guard for so long to pair with Demarcus, and they they found a gem in Isaiah Thomas, and it just didn't work. Fine, like, but like you had a chance at Dame, you had a chance at CJ, like, and you fucked up on those. Like that was the that was the root issue, I think. And it started with the front office. And it's un- it's unfair for you know people to pin it on Demarcus, but like that was that was the front office fucking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next note I have is that I it, I forgot the exact context, but like Vivek always seems to think he has a radical idea that will change the landscape of the basketball world, the secret sauce they call it. And, you know, one of the one of those is the infamous uh, five on four basketball idea where one player camps themselves on, on the other side of the basket and just cherry picks the entire game. Oh. Uh, there are other ones. But to me, everything the Vex says, everything, all the reports, although I hope he's kind of calmed down in recent years, there weren't that many reports about nowadays. But like the fact is, is that. He is a he is essentially James Dolan in, in the West to me. Fickle, a very fickle person who thinks he knows way more than he does, doesn't care to learn about the the intrinsic uh, elements that run that you know exist in running a front office in a, in the NBA, and just thinks he knows it all, and he doesn't. So I just think like if the, if Avec is still like this. Future does not look bright, despite, you know, De'Aaron Fox's, you know, the, the magic of De'Aaron Fox and, like, whatever we're going to get out of this uh, this next pick in Tyrese. Like, it's not looking good if this is how Vivek still is. Yeah, so far, I mean, I haven't heard any news about Vivek lately, but if he's going to be like that with our back at the basketball organization, he, he definitely, someone has to tell him, you know, you got to just focus on 
managing everything else other than you know basketball yeah uh hopefully that is the case but like uh, i i mean like i don't forgot if i said this during the trade deadline episode but like hopefully the trade deadline decisions were monty's call not vivek's call because if they are vivek's call that tells me that monty is likely not long for this job because you know if vivek's gonna overrule him like that he's not gonna want to stick around and you know I, I it's not gonna like if he he's a guy that just doesn't know basketball vivek and he really should just needs to fuck off in my opinion and just handle the business side you know you, you're a tech guy you're good with money you know how to handle money and you you have great ideas just not in the basketball world focus on that and fuck off from basketball you think uh whatchamacallit if Vivek is still doing these type of things how long do you think we'll ever see like a bright spot in the king's organization to the point where we could even reach the playoffs uh well if we draft a lebron james like person (laughs) like that that's the (laughs) only hope because like you know during Although, like, you know, um, we lost, we watched The Last Dance. Like, that and the Chicago Bulls were dysfunctional. But, like, they did have a very good uh, GM and uh, uh, Jerry, Kra- Jer- Jerry Krause. They did have a very good GM and Jerry Krause. But that organization was fucking, was a fucking, you know, chaos theory. Like, it was just chaos all around. And, like... You you can overcome that when you have Michael Jordan on your team, when you have Scottie Pippen on your team. That, it is possible, but it's not sustainable because they fell right, they fell apart pretty quickly after MJ uh, left the team. Granted, there there are some caveats to that, like there are other reasons, but like you know, a, a great player can overcome just about anything. Look at look at Cleveland and LeBron James. That that organization is hot fucking garbage. Look, look at what they've done since LeBron left. Jack shit. And, you know, having LeBron there, like, dictate, you know, dictate the decisions and all that jazz, that was able to make them relevant. So the only way you can ever overcome a shitty owner, help to some degree a shitty front office, is to have a LeBron James, a Michael Jordan on your team. That is the only way. Uh, well, for me, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And oh, you never know. Kate Cunningham. Yeah. Well, that's a, maybe. That's the like your. That's the one like. That's your one lottery ticket. Like, you know, the only way. But like, there. I mean, if Vivek is able to kind of like you know calm down, I think there's a bright future for the Kings. If he's still the way he is, good fucking luck because. Only other hope is to, for him to sell the team. And I'm going to remind you, Donald Sterling had a, had an NBA team for 20 years. Oh, it it's it doesn't happen very often. If you're talking about like, oh, um, Vivek needs to sell this team. Yeah, good fucking luck. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> very unlikely to happen. <sighs> well, well, let's hope um, Monty is uh, you know, making the moves and not Vivek because, yeah. Anyway, we're gonna come. We're gonna come into the the uh, end the end the end stretch of the podcast. Um, 
so I thought this was another interesting thing. In the 2014 draft, um, that was the Nick Stauskas draft, by the way. Um, Kings were actually looking to move up to get Joel Embiid, I thought was interesting. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, that. Why that's interesting. <laughs> I don't think there was a deal there. That was probably why. Oh, I like, see. And, you know, like, I just, again, I just thought it was interesting. Like, they scouted guys, but they just kind of made the wrong decision on who they wanted to go with. Like, they want, they took risk. It was just usually the wrong one. <laughs> it's... That was kind of the kind of the other thing that I've kind of noticed from this draft. Like, you know, they wanted CJ McCollum. They were planning on getting CJ McCollum, but they gambled on Ben McLemore. I mean, they, and in the 2015 draft, they drafted Willie, of quote unquote, to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't think I don't think anything needs to be said about that. But like, they just made the wrong decision at so many levels, and yeah, um, but you know. It, it was interesting. They did want Joel Embiid. Even though, by the way, Joel Embiid coming out of Kansas was not like who you think he is. Yeah. He was he, he was legitimately like the the third guy behind Andrew Wiggins and whoever the fuck was the second guy on on uh Kansas that year. Like he was he was a skinny kid who was quite, you know raw and like we didn't know what he was. Oh no. Like if he if we did you know somehow get him through all the trading up and whatnot. Uh, I can't, in my opinion, I can't see him flourishing within this Kings organization like he has done in the Sixers. Uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to just disagree with you there because as I said earlier, superstars become superstars no matter what. It doesn't matter the environment, in my opinion. Josh Jackson can blame the Phoenix Suns for fucking up his career all he wants. You've you've not succeeded anywhere else, so it might be you, Josh. Like <laughs> I. I, I think I think he would have been fine. Like honestly, if you think about it, that that 76ers front office was not is not that much better than the is not much that much better than the Kings before Daryl Morey. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of mistakes on the way too, and people don't people tend to forget it because they got Ben Simmons, they got Joel Embiid, so it's all good. But like I I think Joel Embiid would have been just as good as he is now. It. Uh, as he is in on the 76ers. Yeah, that'd be an interesting like Twin Towers effect uh, that uh, you know they had in the New Orleans Pelicans when you know we traded Demarcus Cousins. But you know if if Joel Embiid did stay with us, I that'd be an interesting uh, team. I gotta say, it's just that uh, I also can't see us uh, getting any uh, supporting cast with those two. I think you can figure it out. Like talent rules, talent rules the NBA, and you you'll find a way. And that probably does mean you move to Marcus for a better trade than you know what what we got. But you know, like I think you could have fi- found a way to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Reynolds during the entire uh, episode basically stresses that the draft lottery is a crapshoot, but. You know, the Kings, the, he did suggest that the Kings may need to tank properly. And, but he says that, he also does say that, you know, the, the Kings shouldn't just straight up lose games on purpose. Um, was a note that I have. Well, what did you think of this comment? Yeah, I mean, like I said, just play the game and play as uh, much as you can and to, you know, hopefully win, but... 
it doesn't necessarily mean you uh, you have to win or you have to lose. It's just you know play the game how you how the players want to play and uh, how the coaches want the players to play and you know play just good basketball and yeah we'll just eventually uh, get to draft and hopefully whatever place we're in. We'll just have as much of a good chance as the top ten or top, top yeah. What am I saying? The worst ten uh, teams in the league. Yeah, like I, I mean, I read some comments like saying that the Kings should com- completely tank this entire De'Aaron run, but at the same time, like that gets you to what six, the six best lottery odds. Like, is it honestly that much better than the ninth or the seventh or the eighth? It's not a huge percentage, and. You know, people obsess, like, say, oh, we should go one way or the other. It's okay to kind of stay in the middle nowadays because, again, it's a, it's a complete crapshoot nowadays, the draft lottery. And I just don't think people understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I guess people thought, you know, it's the old-fashioned way where, where, you know, how the Sixers tanked harshly and, you know, got two great players out of it. And, you know, it's not... Uh, it's not how the case nowadays. It's all you know, statistics and whatnot. But you know, yeah, it's just a different uh, era, and you know, we just gotta play how we're playing right now and uh, just hope for the best. I'm looking at the Tankathon odds. Currently, we have a seven and a half percent chance of getting the number one pick, and 31, 32 percent basically to get a top four pick. Now, is that that much different than 37% and 9%? I don't know. If we did tank now? Yeah, if we got to the six, if we got to number the six uh, best lottery odds, like, is that the best? Is that that good, I guess? Is it worth it? You know, I'm not going to answer that completely. I think, again, it's a fucking crapshoot, and uh, I just don't think it's like worth it to just lose games on purpose like how a lot of people are suggesting i just just i just did a lottery simulation uh minnesota is i think the fourth worst team right now they just ended up getting the sixth pick huh. uh, just like is it worth it to go all the way like and cleveland who's the you know the sixth has the sixth worst record got the number one pick it's it's a fucking crapshoot I don't think it really matters what the Kings do at this point. Just play basketball, just develop, just, yeah, just develop the young guys and try and find these, you know, the lineups that, the guys that can work with uh, De'Aaron and, you know, try and build around De'Aaron and Tyrese. Yep, and hopefully Monty, uh, you know, creates something out of this because, that's what it comes down to nowadays, and hopefully, you know, like we said, Vivek just stays out of this. Okay. Um, all right. Fi- final few notes. Uh, so Jake Fisher closes out the podcast saying that he really likes Monty and he really likes the idea of building around uh, Fox and Tyrese. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I- I mean, it does it does give me optimism to say that you know he's a he's basically a tank expert, and he says he likes you know Monty McNair, and he likes uh, like the you know the building blocks that is uh, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. 
Yeah, I mean, we got two, you know, generational talents that we haven't seen in front of Kings in such a long time. I, yet. I will calm down on saying Tyrese is generational. He's a very good fit on a championship team, though. I, I'll, I'll give him that. Let's call, let's calm down on the generational stuff. Okay, with Fox then. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's not like how, uh, like with the Marcus where it would have been, uh, I guess, quote unquote, difficult to build a team around him. But now that we have Monty, I, I feel like we have a lot bigger uh, building room uh, for with Fox as a point guard. And uh, we could actually, you know, build a, a successful team out of this. And so far, in my opinion, this season, we've uh, we've accomplished a lot. And even though we're having, you know, a losing season, uh, we have a certain, uh, you know, we got certain role players that I could see uh, us keeping for the future. Yeah, like I really like Terrence Davis. Like I think he, I think he could be a very good piece next year. I like Delon Wright, but his his money is a bit tricky because if you want to sign Rashawn, re-sign Rashawn Holmes, it's gonna be tricky to keep him on the team as well. If you're not gonna move one of Barnes, uh, Bagley, and uh, and or Buddy Heel, that's the only thing about Delon that I'm a little bit queasy about. But I think I think there's a I think like you know him's kind of reaffirming, you know, confirming that Fox and Tyrese are good building blocks and that Monty McNair is a good GM to be able to do this does give me a lot more optimism now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully we can somehow keep Rashawn. It's just uh, they were also saying, yeah, they're they're waiting for that. Uh, Rashawn's family is waiting for that four-year, $80 million contract because, you know, he is worth that much to some teams, but with our, is, is he? I I don't know. That's what they said, but you know, with uh, our situation, I I still think he's a twelve to fifteen million dollar a year type player. I don't even think for our situation, I don't see him like I don't see it like twelve to fifteen million. I think it's well, not I don't see twenty million a year for four years. I, th- I think that's a reach. Yeah. That's no shade to Rashawn. Like he's a very good like center, but he is undersized, and I, I just don't know. Like unless like Charlotte or New York actually wants to throw that money at him, I I don't know. I don't think he's that expensive. I mean, those were the two teams that they have mentioned. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see. It's just uh, I wish we could keep him and for. Let's let's just say three years, twelve, thirty-six million. That's... I think that's a bit low for Rashawn. I think you're gonna got, you gotta go up to probably fifteen million a year. Okay. Unfortunately. So forty-five. Yeah, forty-five, and I think a longer contract as well, like probably four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is a, I'd say, a pretty good contract, I guess, for uh, this team, but we still. I, I'm hoping that we can uh, secure uh, another center. I'm not sure if it's with uh, within like you know Damian Jones or uh, someone else. It's it's that yeah, like you said, he is undersized, and we need that big burly man like Alex Len, which I don't know if he would be a long-term uh, center for us anyway, in my opinion. I think Rashad is actually fine as you're starting or your closing center, but you do, yeah, you do need a guy to back him up, like a big guy to back him up. 
Mm. And right now, J- Damian Jones can be that guy. We'll see. But like, yeah, the only issue with Rashawn is that he is small. Like, but he is switchable. He's legitimately a switchable defender. And you know, if we were ever to develop a decent enough defense, he could be the anchor of that. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. But it is a tricky situation, and I hope we figure it out. And I I implore, I you know, encourage, and will support Rashawn in getting all the money. Mm-hmm. You know, just get paid is is your priority, Rashawn. Oh yeah, as a player, most definitely. And uh, I guess the the last thing I I want to talk about is that Jake thinks Marvin is done. He he thinks he's probably yeah he he wants out of this team. He wants a better situation, and the Kings seem pretty dumb with him too. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, as much as I want to like this guy, it's just uh, yeah he has too many injuries and he has just too many I, I guess I don't want to say mistakes but yeah it's just uh, a lot of cons that just uh, make him not want him be in this team and you know he I mean dude says that he's coming back to basketball operations so <laughs> maybe we'll see him by the end of the season before he goes yeah I, I think just more he's a very he's there's a lot of talent there you know he's a very kind of mobile very fluid athlete but he does have you know you know your defensive limitations and currently it just this is not working with some, what he does and you know it's unfortunate he's also kind of pigeonholed into a certain role in in the offense like uh, there there's definitely more that he can do but as it stands now he is not a winning player and you know if he's good and he also he's not good enough to be really be able to complain about anything. And he is complain he he has not publicly complained, but he has. But his family and like you know his supporters have complained very um, aggressively for him for him to have a bigger role or trade him somewhere else. I just don't think a guy that's you know that's that has that affects the game like as much or as little as Marvin can really command this this much baggage so yeah i think yeah if he if he wants to be gone i'm fine with that although i wouldn't be mad if he stayed on the team because there's a lot of potential there and honestly with the way how he's playing you can kind of talk him into taking a discount yeah well we'll see i doubt his family will say otherwise though Oh, they ain't going to say anything when, you know, they're earning, like, you know, double-digit millions a year. Like, that's how these kinds of situations solve themselves out, let's be honest. <laughs> okay, well, that uh, – oh, last thing. Uh, Kings Herald, apparently. I thought this was interesting. Kings Herald, not the biggest fan of the positive commentary from, from the uh, Kings commentary team. What did you think of that? I mean, I don't – I don't mind the commentary, in my opinion. I mean, Doug gives out like pretty uh, great basketball IQ points that uh, you know could help the team, but you know, really, the team doesn't utilize it. Uh, but um, overall, you know, you could tell at some points, like uh, from was it last game, uh, Doug had a really just kind of like that angry tone in his voice about the Kings. 
And, uh, you know, he, I mean, I, I feel like the positivity is, you know, just hides the fact that, you know, our team is, you know, really bad. I mean, what can we say or what can the commentators say when we're like, losing this bad? I, I will always say this about the commentary team. I'm ve- I'm so impressed and honestly mesmerized how these guys are able to keep thing keep a positive attitude about this team. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, the Doug Doug seems to be losing it because, like, again, this is what almost 70, 50 games of this bullshit, and it's it, it, it it's gotta like wear on his mentality and his mind. And of course, there are times like I do roll my eyes at some of the things they say, like you know some of the Buddy Heald stuff. He leads the league in three point makes and stuff like that but honestly i'm all for positivity i'm all for just you know finding a light at the end of the tunnel and these guys are great at doing that i think i i'm, I'm perfectly fine with you know with how doug and mark and kyle do commentary i think they're great i think they're one of the best um announcing teams in the league actually mm-hmm. and you know it's fine like just pump some positive positive vibes into the team into the you know, into life. There's nothing wrong with that. I feel. What you must call it. Uh, do you remember when Jerry and the other guy that we won't talk about uh, has done commentary and how the other guy is was uh, kind of like half good, half pretty negative about the team. Uh, would you like to have that kind of commentary back if that were the case? I'll be honest. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really watch the Kings, and definitely didn't watch the Kings broadcast at the time, so I can't compensate on it. But I, I love. I love the current commentary team. They're great. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Well, that's all. That's all we have. It's unfortunate that we do have to open up with some bad news with De'Aaron being out. But hopefully, the Kings kind of weather that storm, and you know, wherever we end up, wherever we end up, and. Yeah, this was a very great podcast by the Kings Herald like and Jerry Reynolds. Like a real a lot of insight, a lot of interesting points to be made. It wasn't as depressing as uh, Kings Twitter tried to make it. Like they 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 were talking like this is like the darkest day of the King of the Kings history and like it really depressed them. I mean, yeah, there aren't there are a lot of like damning facts, you know, damning reveals in this podcast, but not the end of the world and honestly it's not anything i didn't know beforehand let's be honest i mean yeah pretty much well let's see our next game is tomorrow right at against the map well against the golden state sorry golden state at 7 p.m is it at uh golden one I believe it is. I don't have the schedule. I'm just going to say it is because I do remember it's same, same versus. But, yes, Steph Curry's coming to town. I'm expecting, honestly, only 30 points, but they're going to blow us out. Yeah. Oh, actually, is that the Chase Center? Huh. The Chase Center? Okay, never mind. I was wrong. Oh. I mean, I mean, speaking about uh, arenas, I kind of still want to go to the Kings game before it ends, but I don't know about those prices. We'll see about those prices, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm down. I'm down to go to one um, mm-hmm. at some point. We shall see. Yes, we shall see. Well, I guess we'll see you guys later then, huh?